Welcome to the Everyday Sniper. You got Frank from Sniper's Hide, and we're live on Sniper's Hide as well as live in the um, podcast. So we're doing both. I don't know if both are working right now, but we're up and we're going live. And so we should be pretty much live right now. And I'm here with Chris Way. He stopped over. Let me see if this guy went live. Everybody. It's not going. He's like, hey, we're, we're, we're looking to see. Up oh, there it is. Watch now. The red button didn't come up. But we are live on the app. Oh, update time zone. It wants me to update my time zone. Yeah, all right. Yeah, save that. Save that. I'm good. Uh, I'm looking for the link. Yeah, people are <laughs> like staring at my phone here. Yeah, well, there, there. It says watch now, but it's telling me to do something. Oh, it didn't access me. Hang on. So, uh, we just got back. We had all kinds of stuff going on. I had the uh, cameo class. Chris was in surgery, so he was actually laid up in bed. And um, then the cameo class was going on. Let me see if we are working. Oh, why did it not link me? My community app did not link me. Hmm. Where do I gain? Oh, gain access. It's It decided not to link me for whatever reason. Um, Weird. But anyway, how's your surgery going? Let's just Good. like... Check it out. I, if the people that are on video, you can see my... Um, I got this brace on. I had my low back bolted together and... Uh, now we're just waiting for the bones to, to fuse. Surgery went good. Um, but. You're ready to roll, ready to roll. Now um, let's jump into, we, you kind of got with the cameo class. We ended up, I saw some things where it's, it's making sense now when you look at the lower, I mean, it made sense before, but when we've talked about this in the past, the lower 50% of any comp. So they score 50% or less in a match. And I'm really thinking it's coming down to not only preparation, but there's a bit of understanding, a disconnect between what they believe is their understanding of what they're going to do and how it really happens. And then their data. They don't understand their data. They think that I put it in software. That's enough because... There was a power third of the class that came to the mountain course. And I, I have to go back and read it. And, and this isn't a negative. This helps us as well as anybody else. But I thought we build the, co the course as sort of a next step course where you should be prepped. Mm -hmm. And there was a good third that didn't have the most basic data and we had to dope them out. And it's doable. We were able to get it done. But I'm, I want to get into the details of that, that it's not perfect. It, w it was wrong in a lot of ways um, when it came time to uh, uh, saying, hey, hit that target. Mm -hmm. And they couldn't. Yeah, I, I I mean, I've been thinking a lot about it after the debrief with you and Chris and thinking about what are the major categories that we fall trapped to, even as instructors and as students, thinking that that we understand what we're doing and what's necessary. And I think that there's there's a couple... Oh, I think there's a couple 
things. First of all, there there is an equipment barrier. Sometimes people's equipment just isn't up to snuff. But but then there's an understanding and a training level that that isn't up to snuff. And unfortunately, when you surround yourself with a class or you go to a competition, um, you're the gap that's there not only holds you back and the instructors, but also the other students. And so it's an interesting thing to talk about because really what we're talking about is a constellation of issues, but we, we need to fix them all. And each needs a different element addressed. And so the, the, the quick fix that you hear about with, with people is, is sometimes the equipment. I've seen it less than preparation. Well, equipment-wise, we did have the dude that had the BDC. He had the the shorter rifle. He had the hunting-style rifle. Like It looked like a cutoff element to me, a Seekins. And maybe an 18-inch barrel. Uh, he had a Thunder Beast brake, but no can. And then he had like a, a Trigicon BDC-style scope. And so you're trying to be precise. And this is the second... Trigicon BDC style scope I've had in a month. We had one in California and this class. So we have guys coming to Precision Rifle with the Trigicon BDC style. So your mic was just down a little bit for whatever reason. So I'm giving you a backup with mine. Your thing was low. Anyway, so yeah, go ahead. Well, I, I, yeah. So so let's let let's take something like that. I think that. When, when, when I don't, I don't know the background of the guy and his equipment and the rifle, but, but there are often answers that you see online where somebody says, you know, I'm just going to make up a generic situation. I've got a 308 with an 18 inch barrel. Can I perform at 800 yards? Can I perform at a thousand yards? And the quick answer is, of course you can, but can you do it to the standards that people are performing at now? Not likely. That's my answer <laughs> because a bullet can travel that distance and a bullet has potentially acceptable accuracy on a full-size IPSC at 800 yards, but people are not shooting full-size IPSCs at 800 yards anymore. The standards continue to increase. So a BDC reticle and a 308 or a BDC reticle, something that offers a serious challenge in terms of precision and accurate, repeatable precision and accuracy uh, to today's standards is going to interfere with the outcomes of the class like that. And so as standards continue to increase, of course you could shoot it with your grandpa's, you know, grand, but it's going to be a challenge to do it with accuracy and precision at the level and the standards that we're teaching at. And so making sure that your equipment is capable along with your skill sets prior to going is very important. I'm sure there's somebody out there with iron sights that could do something at a level that we'd all be impressed with, but the, you know, 99% of people can't perform with the equipment that they have at the standards and distances that we'll be operating at. So a hunting rifle that you expect to hunt with within 300 yards may be capable of doing everything that you need within 300 yards, but when you ask them to be able to mill a target and and spot their impacts and shoot at targets that are smaller than three or four MOA, it might be very hard to have repeatable accuracy and precision at 1,000 yards because of your ability to resolve an image 
or, yeah. or something like that. I think we need to set a minimum and basically say that, um, you know, we're going to do this to uh, 800 yards. You have to have something capable of resolving almost a one MOA target to 800 yards if we want to be precise, if we want to take this as a precision hunter course or a mountain hunter course with a precision rifle, I would say your system should be able to resolve an eight inch plate at eight inch at 800 yards. Sure. You know, I think that needs to be, so we got the May class coming up and we're looking at sort of what's going on. And, and based on what I'm seeing March last week and, and, Beautiful class, awesome students. We had a really good time. Now, we modified it in my head starting. Well, initially, when Chris was coming, it was going to be A, B, C. Then he has to go in for surgery. So now it's just A, B, where we have to modify and pull C in and, and, and kind of make an adjustment, which is no problem. Both uh, Chris Roberts and I have enough experience to make the adjustment. And, and I, we think everybody got what they needed to get out of it. But there was an element in a time when we're looking to run stages and I sort of had the group because I had been working with them software wise and those guys had kind of gravitated towards me because I had just fixed their kestrels and um, they really weren't up to the throw them on a clock, jump into it with two feet. So I was assigning lanes like, here's a lane, there's targets in front of you, find them, range them, engage them, and get comfortable with that. Here's a lane, and then I was bringing people over and putting them on the clock that I felt could handle it or wanted to be on the clock. But I mean, it's night and day difference. We had some of the guys, and this isn't a negative, this is a reality. We I've given them two minutes on a simplistic log stage, right? So Cameo has this like railroad ties in a, in a design, right? So you're going to shoot uh, an angle right, an angle left, and in a, in a facing center. So there's a center log, and then you have a wing coming off the right and left. So pretty simple. Put your game changer up, put your rifle on the bag, shoot two shots, move to the middle, put your game changer up, put your rifle on the bag, shoot two shots, and you're shooting all the same plate. I gave them the same plate because I figured giving them different plates would blow their mind. Like finding them. Okay. So here's the stage. You got two minutes. Put your bag. Two shots. Move. Two shots. Move. And you're only moving a foot. There were more than one shooters that their first shot didn't even get off until they had like 49 seconds left. So round it. Make it 50 seconds to be in. So I gave you two minutes. So it took them a minute and 10 seconds to get their first shot off. And we're talking like on a comp level, if you want to be competent, 10 to 15 seconds from buzzer to first shot should be 10 to 15 seconds. And here we have a crew that's a minute and 10. And then you have people who are 15 to 20 second people looking to get that last little bit. And so it's a huge diversity of student. And that's why I think we have to clean up how people understand what a competition means. Because, I mean, I know Chris has told people to come to, like, the Riflecraft stuff, be competition ready. And then they've shown up and can't hit the first plate. Right. 
you know? So that's my, that's where I'm looking at this from a trainer standpoint is you got to help me help you, but where's the questions? Where's the disconnect? Um, as listener, as a student, as a new shooter out there, and you're listening to this podcast for tips and tricks, where are you finding the disconnect is coming from, from sort of, I think I know, to putting it into practice that makes it where it's a minute, Mm -hmm. you know? Uh, Because that's the big question for me, is where the heck is that coming from? Yeah, I recently talked to, to Josh Lemon and kind of asking the same kind of questions. And I ask you and Chris, I ask this question a lot because it is something that comes up over and over and over again. And it's something that could be capitalized on in instruction, in preparation, and, and in personal training. And, and I think that there, there's two things, right? So oftentimes, and, and you say it a lot, especially particularly people who are trained professional snipers, they say that that operating a bolt gun gives you time and opportunity, right? And when I say time and opportunity, uh, most snipers understand what I'm talking about, and I think what we're we're losing kind of let's let's divide that in half, right? Time doesn't mean you got all the time in the world. And that's where, that's where I think there's a disconnect. We need to create a forward benchmark, not a forward benchmark like you have to do it in five seconds, but we have to set a minimum expectation of that time element because with bolt guns, we expect precision, we expect accuracy, we expect ballistics to be within reason at a distance where other calibers will fall apart. But the time element is very important. So... Instead of saying, well, we got time, that doesn't mean, you know, sometime between now and tomorrow. It also doesn't mean five seconds from now, but there's a window where time becomes relevant. And that time offers up a glimpse at gear familiarity, expectation, understanding, knowing what questions were asked and what you need to be able to do. And if you can't do it in that time window, you either don't understand what you're being asked to do. You don't understand how to manipulate your, there's some sort of a disconnect. And so finding out what that disconnect is, is really important. And so, for example, you know, when I say time and opportunity, um, it obviously it's context dependent, but Mm -hmm. what's the time component of that for a sniper in contrast to another weapon system, because I assume that that time element is saying, well, I have more time than a pistol person would expect to operate in. But where does that line transition from another system to a bolt system? And then where where does that gray zone start where we need to say, look, we've got to stay ahead of that threshold? Because I, you know, if, some, if I ask you to develop a position... Yeah and you're still working on it in 10 minutes, we, we missed our window. We, right. we did, yeah, we didn't meet. Well, and that's a distance is supposed to give you time and opportunity, right? So that's why we're precision rifle bolt gun guy because we can back up in that. So then when we talked about it in the military, it was your personal danger space. So inside 600 yards because that's artillery and that's my danger space for artillery. So once you're inside six... Now you're looking at personal danger time and you have to speed up. Then that 600 to 8, 
is a window, your eight to a thousand is a window, and so on like that. But that's the mantra. Distance gives you time and opportunity. Now, is your window small? Like we dealt with guys out down at Rifles Only that were coming for us to solve that problems, alleys. They had people crossing alleys. Their window is tiny. They have to be fast. So we have to know when you see somebody come out this doorway of an alley and they're getting ready to run across into this doorway of an alley, how much time do you have, right? But then maybe like out on my range, open field prog horns come across. You got all day to shoot them things because they just, they walk across the wait for you at 400 yards. I mean, you literally can watch a prog horn at 400 yards for 10 minutes and I can get prone and do whatever I have to do. But because they mix in with the cows and they're comfortable, you know what I mean? But then you may be in the woods somewhere and have a smaller window with a moose walking across. And that window only gives you three minutes to get that moose before the door closes. You know, so that's that's that time and opportunity and how you're going to use it. And so that's what we're looking for is, um, you know, just just how does that work in in giving people that window and that's what nrl hunter prs anything that puts you on a clock is trying to do is get you accustomed to the reduced time and so you're better prepared under a smaller clock right okay so so let's take i'm I'm thinking of field competitions because that's where my mind always drifts to and competition dynamics to me is the heart of field matches at the moment and because other ones have kind of drifted in and out. So let's take a competition dynamics. Let's take Steel Safari is kind of one of those ultimate competitions. Now at Steel Safari, you get, I think, it changes every year, but I'm going to say five minutes. An individual is presented with a blind scenario, and you have five minutes to locate, range, and engage six targets with a single shot each. So let's break that down. How long does it take you to shoot an individual target once a position is built? Probably single digit seconds in order for you, you know, I'm, I'm saying the position's built, you know, you're dope, you know, everything else. How long does it physically take you to take six good shots or one shot at six different targets? Probably less than 60 seconds. Okay. So, so just to be generous, I'm going to take five minutes. And I'm going to, I'm going to take out a minute of that and say one minute of that is shooting. So the expectation of time and opportunity in this context for a field shooter that's designed, it's really designed for field hunting scenarios. And those field hunting scenarios involve all of the other skill sets. So we've removed the shooting from it. Now you have four minutes to locate and range six targets and find and build a position that's capable of accurately engaging those positions. Yeah, the least amount of movement to shoot all six targets. Right. So if we take the shooting out, the time element is saying you have four minutes to engage, you know, to to find and build a position for six targets. And you can have six positions, one position, whatever. But so so let so so we so let let's hash that out a little bit. You you know, if 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 we divide um, that four minutes um, for six targets, that's a minute and a half per target. So if I asked somebody, you know, and we said, let's break this down, or you're doing a test at your, at, at your range, or you're trying to think about, do I have the, the skill sets requisite to go to steel safari or to be considered 
at a competitive level, can you, you know, with all of your stuff on your back or, or all of your equipment off to the side or something like that, can you build a position and get, not even shoot it, can you build a position and get ready to shoot it in a minute and a half, right, and have a sight picture or something like that? Uh, 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 and, and so uh, 90 seconds per target. So in a field context, we got 90 seconds per target. In an NRL hunter, it's it's going to be kind of a, a cute, uh, it's going to be like that because, right, they have four minutes and four targets, so it's a minute per target. And so we take 10 seconds out of that, and it's about 50 seconds. So between 50 seconds and 90 seconds, you should be able to set your stuff up and be ready to pull the trigger with an understanding of what you need to do. None of that is the actual trigger pulling, the precision, the, the, the showing people your sweet groups. You know, none of it is, is any of that stuff. It's just simply preparation, gear understanding, familiarity, and, and so on and so forth. So when I think, when somebody says time and opportunity, the time element, I'm thinking 50 to 90 seconds. That's a time frame that I'm afforded with a bolt gun at the distances that we're engaging these things in. Now, if it's closer, obviously that you don't need as much time to set up. You don't need as much time to think about the ballistics because at a closer distance, those ballistics are less, um, less interesting, right? That you don't have as much drop. You don't have as much time of flight. So you don't have as much deviation in your dope, right? Between, you know, for me, between point blank and 300 yards, I'm talking about a difference of a little less than one mil, right? So, so um, like, that's not a huge deviation of dope, right? We're talking about, like, basically a 3MOA dispersion from nothing to 300 yards. So if the target's 3MOA, right, or, or 0.9, you know, or, or um, you know, basically just a little over a mil wide if I can flash mill it I can just engage it without really thinking too much about it right hold high hold low so the time and opportunity anyway to to circle back to that time and opportunity thing I'm thinking you should be capable of building a position and understanding the equipment that you need for that position aiming your rifle towards the target potentially having a good sight picture but not even engaging it but but in that 50 to 90 seconds so if I was going to make a generic criteria you know, it would probably be on the upper end of that. I would, you know, and, and then if somebody's still learning and they're a student, they don't quite feel competitive, I would add a little buffer to that. I like to speak in generalities, and I like to think in that context, people are coming to us to learn, so they shouldn't be at that 50-second, I would say, two minutes. Can you, if I ask you, build a position and get ready to shoot that target, raise your hand when you're ready to pull the trigger, you should be able to do that in two minutes. Anything after two minutes it doesn't mean you don't have the capability. It doesn't mean you don't have, but there's a disconnect. That disconnect could be, maybe I didn't explain myself correctly. Maybe you don't understand what you're being asked to do. Maybe your shit's all over the place and you need to work on organization. Maybe you don't quite, maybe you just bought the rifle and you don't, you don't even know how to use it. But, but those disconnects could be important in understanding whether you should be there or not. If you can do it in two minutes, great. If you can't do it in two minutes, there's a problem. We need to figure out what the problem is so that we can address it. And when instructors like Frank have 10 people that are over that two minute threshold that takes away from time that could be used towards the class. And so maybe front loading a way to identify that is important. Yeah. I mean, that's where I'm thinking is like giving people these practice drills and different things to even just find a target and go from bino to rifle 
Um, and and there was a couple guys that I, I I said, hey, you know, one of your practice things to take away from this class is manual of arms. You need to learn the controls of your rifle and understand if I'm going from glass to gun, do I know where everything is that I need to move, or am I second guessing and stumbling over that? Because even just the the hey, put you know two mils on your gun. It's there's there's a question happening in their mind. You can see them processing that and they're not going two mils turn the turret. You know, they're going, okay, what does that mean? Which direction do I turn it? They're 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 going through steps that should be um basic, you know what I mean, or even beyond that. Now I get it, you're coming to class and you're coming to learn, but the class also has to have a process. In sort of the mountain hunter would be the second in your process and not the first, where in some cases I believe this was some people's first, and so they were unsure of how to progress forward with that. So it took a little bit of something I might have taken for granted. I'm now seeing, like, I can't take that for granted with that guy. I actually have to go over there and explain that to him. You know, where normally it's like, okay, everybody, we're going here. And then, you know, like Chris is saying, we got we got 20 people in the class and eight of them are going, what? And then that that's that's significant. And so that's where I'm I'm gonna work on and, and with Chris is a discussion, a method for helping people to even just speed up. Just to find themselves in a process for that. And I think we'll have that. I mean, it's crazy. So we go out to Cameo and the weather was touch and go. I mean, there was weather in the area. The pass was closed. They got 20 inches of snow on the Vail Pass. You know, so guys were like, I'm going to leave Sunday night. And we're telling them like, no, you're not going to leave Sunday night. There's weather just over there. Like we're seeing a little bit of rain. It was mostly rain where we were. But at 14,000 feet, it was snow. And and guys are like, oh, I got to go over the mountain. I got my flight. And it's like, that's shut off right now, guys. You got to go Monday. You know, Monday morning, it'll turn back on. Um, so it, 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 there's all these things happening out there. There's weather. There's different things in that. And I can control you more in Fort Morgan on that range with those targets where I can drive out watermark them, paint them, make them fresh. Cameo, you're not making the targets fresh. You're not going to run up to the side of the cliff face and clean that up so I can see exactly where Bob's hitting. You know, I know Bob hit it. There's only a couple hits on it. That looks like you're hit, Bob. But when we're doing weaponized math, when we're doing something else, and we're trying to dope a rifle, a two mil tall plate and knowing, yeah, you hit it, now I have a crazy swing in your dope. So then it's like, good, good, good. Uh, that doesn't look right. And then we had like a case where oh, it, it happened. Um, so the thousand yard was wrong for one of the students. I got everything doped out well. And I'm like, the thousand yard was wrong. And I'm trying to get him centered up. And it should have been this number. And it was giving us a different number. And everything I'm doing to try to bend the curve wasn't working. I'm like, wait a minute. This computer's got to be right. We got this right. Six is right. Eight is dead on right. The thousand is showing wrong. 
by a margin. Do me a favor. Put that number on and shoot that plate. Impact. Meanwhile, four-tenths later, you know, or five-tenths off or even more than that, that's what we had doped them as hitting that plate with. So there was a huge swing in what we doped them to say they hit that thousand yard plate at Cameo there versus what the computer said when I tried to true them because they had no dope. So I'm trying to true the computer to a plate that's four mils tall at a thousand yards. You know what I mean? And it's like, how do I fine tune that? It's shot to snot. It's, you know, it's got a watermark, not even like it's got a dot on it, not a watermark. And so you need to do the process ahead of time. And even if somebody on a flat range doped their rifle correctly with weaponized math, don't do anything else. Just give me weaponized math. Bring that to me with an empty computer with nothing but a profile I think we can make you work really well. So if before you came to Cameo, you went to your local thousand yard square range and doped your rifle with the weaponized math charts that you can download for free on the hide and made sure your numbers with the drop column are correct. Do your weaponized math and then fill out the drop column. It should go 0.8. 0.9, 1, 1, 1, 1, 2, 1, 3, 1, 4. Some variation of that. It cannot and will not hitch. It can't go 0. 0.8, 0. 0.9, 1, 0. 0.8, 1, 1, 0. 0.9, 1, 2. It can't have a hitch in gravity. So if you do that before you come to class at your local range, that is enough for us to build a chart with your rifle that should work out correctly. And then it's telling us it's right through the drop column, you know? So I think at a bare minimum, I mean, our day one class with Taylor is a different animal. You're showing up expected to not know anything. I'm, I'm looking at it where you don't even know where the button is to turn on your Kestrel. So you don't need that. I don't need to bring the Kestrel. But if, if it's an advanced class, we want you to be able to whip out that Kestrel, give me a solution to that target using your laser range finder, and hit it within about 30 seconds. If I say, hey, man, there's a target on that hill, find it, range and engage it, and it's just one, and there's a rock in front of me, you should be able to do that in about 30 seconds as a new shooter. Now... It's our job from that point to take you from 30 to 10, you know, or as close to 10 as we can get you in that weekend. But that's what in that type of class we're looking for you to do. Or we're saying, yeah, you, you, you're building a position, you're using your tripod, but you're missing the target. Our not job is then to tighten you up like the, the tripod stuff. And the thing I showed you, and I explained it in the class, off your belly, recon or re, recon, uh, recoil management is everything. Once you get off your belly, and if you've doped your rifle in the prone, and then you're getting off your belly and you're going to the tripod, you're going to the game changer, you're going to a, a something, 
whether it's a tripod or a game changer, because really that's the only two options people use now. It's a bag and a, or a tripod, right? If you're not supporting that back of the rifle correctly, when it recoils, it's either going to recoil straight into you or it's going to recoil on an arc. And if it recoils on an arc, you're going to miss over the top of the plate. I'm telling everybody, miss over the top, miss over the top, miss over the top. Then I'm pointing to guys like we had some instructors. We had instructors from the military in this class. So I get these instructors over and I'm showing them. I'm focusing on the muzzle. Even if I'm standing six feet away from you and you're getting ready to shoot and I hear Chris, Chris or Chris, whatever, buddy, whoever it is, there's too many Chris's. If I hear Chris say, okay, get ready to shoot that target, and I look over and I watch you, I'm going to put my focus like I'm aiming in on your suppressor in relation, or your muzzle in relationship to an object behind it. So now I'm, I'm, I'm marking the location of your barrel with an object that's static. I keep getting this loss. I got to talk to Comcast. See what it does? Mm-hmm. That's happening on these computers, and I think it's Comcasting. Anyway, I'm looking at that. And then when you recoil, I want to see how you moved. And Dude, that's my secret sauce right there. How you moved in relationship to the muzzle and the object. Your muzzle moved one way. The object stood still. I'm looking at that. And I can tell what you did from just that. Now, I can look at the trigger and see a lot, too, because I'm going to see the movement there as well, and I can watch you. But if I'm across the lane looking at somebody and I can't see their trigger, I'm looking at their muzzle, and that's all I need. And so that's the key that people have to realize is we need it's, – it's, it's that recoil management all the fundamentals are building towards having a consistent, repeatable recoil management. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, yeah. When you mentioned like your your courses with with Carl, everybody comes in with the expect, expectation of I'm coming from scratch. Preparation for that is a little bit easier because you know we're going to start with A and go to B, go to C, go to D. Then there's that disconnect that we've mentioned and talk about regularly, which is most people are over-assessing their capabilities and saying, well, I'm pretty good. And you see that regardless of the person. I, I, I'm sure I do it. I'm sure everybody's doing it. But you see people say, well, because of the way I self-assess myself, you know, I think I'm ready for this. And, and then you go and realize maybe that's not, maybe that's not true. So what came to mind was, you know, if, if you're coming to a class in person, there's a massive amount of value to that. Uh, and that value is that you get Frank's eyes on you so that he can see the things that he can intuit. He says, well, it's easy for him to see that. It's very hard for people to see stuff like that. So because, but, but, it, but, you know, he's honed it over decades and decades of watching shooters, watching guns, understanding ballistics. He can intuit from watching a shooter something very, very quickly and, and fix it very easily. But the thing is, the 
the pre-course stuff could probably actually be turned into a workbook. Like a, this is a pre-course workbook that you need to complete before you come to the class. And totally. maybe, maybe say like, well, we're going to close registration a month prior because not, not because people can't book flights and travel, but because you do, you won't have enough time to complete this pre-event workbook. And if you have questions about it, email us or bring it with you when you show up to the class. And that pre-event workbook might be, get your zero at a hundred yards on this sheet to, you know, get your dope at certain distances and write it down and confirm it on your ballistic calculator, and write down a hard dope. Card. Mm-hmm. Understand that your turrets work, you know, go up, go down, just, just a list of things that you need to perform and document prior to coming, coming to this class. And I think that, that my first thing would be like, Holy shit, that that's a lot of time and that's expensive for me to go to a range and do that before I come to the class. But think about it. Like if let's, let, I'm just going to, make up numbers like I like to do. But if it costs you a thousand dollars to register for a class and then it costs you $500 to book a flight and then $500 to rent a car and $500 to get a hotel plus food. Um, you know, you're, you're already talking about $2,500 of expenses to go to a class. Why not add a few hundred dollars of time, yeah. of time and energy prior to going so that you can get what you want from the class and maximize it versus coming to the class and having to do that workbook and then leaving with the workbook information and not the stuff that anybody had, into, you know, just, just that, you know, you, there was stuff that you were supposed to get, but you don't get it because you weren't ready to receive that information. So like some kind of a pre course workbook checkbook thing and saying like, all right. And and that on my that's on my end because for like three years now I've been wanting to put a workbook out. And especially because we do have the weaponized math, we do have the sheets from Ted, we do have the worksheets now we hand out in class. Like dope in my basic Mark and Frank class is done on a workbook, like a worksheet. And then that I when you're done and you've reached a thousand yard and you hit it, then I show you how to put that into the computer. But just having that worksheet, there's three elements of understanding that come out of that worksheet in itself. One, you're looking at weaponized math and how that flows and how simplistic it is. Two, you're looking at the drop and you're understanding how your how gravity works and how your bullet is flying. And then the the third one is you're able to take that information and true a computer simplistically because now this is verified data. And then you can line up the computer much easier um, than having to trial and error work the computer. I mean, it's it's really, you know, it's 25 feet per second per tenth of mil in the computer. And so once you know that, it's easy to adjust when you say, well, I need to get this 3.0 the computer initially told me to match the 3.2 I verified with weaponized math. So I'm moving two tenths. That's 50 feet per second. You've now removed the mystery of your computer because we've shown you in a logical order how weaponized math tracks your dope, right? It's 0.8, you know? And then from there you see the correlation to the computer and you know what the computer's now doing because you see it, then you have more trust in the computer. You're able to get it quicker and easier and then just say, 
I need 547. I never shot something at 547 before, but I need it right now. And the computer's saying to do this. You don't question that. You just do it, mm-hmm. right? And now that takes a piece out of your head that is time that you're not thinking about anymore on the clock, okay? You range the target, 547. Computer says this for 547. I got the laser told me this. The computer told me this. All I had to do was point and read. And my mind needs to be clear and say, okay. The problem is, is where I go, is that right? Is this right? Let me check that again. Is that really correct? That doesn't look right because I shot this before and it seemed like it was only a tenth off of that. Wait a minute, right? That's the fight that Mm -hmm. people have. You see them, right? Do we not see them battling in their brain? Like there's like two knights fighting and we're looking at the side of somebody. It's like, okay, shoot that target. And they, it, it appears they're freezing up. But if you really look, they have two guys in there beating each other up trying to figure out who's going to win the argument of is that correct or not. And that's what's happening in your head. Mm-hmm. So the <laughs> elephant in the room, though, is that for, for somebody who doesn't have the skills at a certain level, they've got so much error in their capability that it produces effects that are really difficult to um, sort out without the help of somebody else. So, so I just want to just kind of... I say it a lot and we talk about it a lot, but, but, you know, Frank says, okay, we do weaponized math and you get impact, 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 impact. So the, the thing that, that is kind of comes in and causes those two nights to argue, I think a little bit is that let's take a craft target. I got a lot of data on shooters. The average shooter that, that enters data into the website is, is somebody that cares enough to do something like that. So my guess is it's probably above average, but, but the average craft user as a group size of four inches, three and a half inches come down a little bit, three and a half inches, but three and a half inches, you know, so, so if, if, if you took 12 shots, you know, three prone, three kneeling, three, yeah, three, three, seated, three. three, three standing, you know, whatever they're, they're producing like a three and a half inch group around the point of aim that three and a half inches is bigger than most targets that we're shooting at so mm-hmm. if you're tr- so so the variation just among the target is is pretty extreme so a good test that i would have somebody do just to see that that uh you introduce a lot of variability would be er- every single day you know the first shot of the day shoot at a craft positional target that breaks down stand kneeling seated prone don't don't check your zero because the the problem with checking your zero is is you know those two things will start chasing all oh, my zeros off. If you find yourself going to the range every single day and every single day your zeros off, you're seeing the effects most likely of your positional inconsistency and not the rifle system zero. Now, now that granted there, there are cheap rifles and scopes that do have wandering zeros. People whose zeros change every single day. That's that back seeing, ring. Honestly, if you notice, if you sh- dope out to a thousand or distance and then come back and your zero wandered and you dope out and your zero's different, check your back ring, move your back ring. That b- binds the gimbal. So the back, so you know, you've, you've heard of people saying they're parallax bound, mm-hmm. right? So the parallax in the front's not working, the front ring's pinching on the tube mm-hmm. and binding the parallax. We talk about it all the time. Mm-hmm. Well, it could do the exact same thing in the back, 
but the back is where the gimbal is that moves the erector. So if you notice your zero is not returning to zero, loosen and readjust that back ring and make sure it's torqued at, a, at the minimum like a 15 inch pound and see if that doesn't fix your zero that doesn't come back. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Tip. Yeah. The, okay, so that's contrast to, to what I was saying, which is that some shooters... Yeah, they know, do they, want they it. We the... can move a person that has nothing to do mechanically. Mm-hmm. I can fix you, and your zero will move. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right. But 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 it's it's subtle, but those subtleties can be seen on a truing bar if, if every time you're taking a shot or building position, it's changing your point of aim, and you can verify that and validate it at 100. Now, that needs to be fixed and worked with an instructor, but... But all, all I'm saying is that if, if you have a record over time, and I think this justifies the old school hard data books, I think this justifies using the craft site as a shooting journal just to show that over time you're seeing these effects. However you do it, right? You, you know, you do it however you want to. But if, if, if you had first shot of the day prone, first shot of the day seated, first shot of the day kneeling, first shot of the day standing, over time it would produce a group within which you need to use your kind of rational brain to assess whether what you're seeing downrange is the effect of you or whether it's the effect of environment, range, ballistics, wind, so on and so on and so on and so forth. And then from that data, then you true your stuff. But if you're, if you're shooting three inches and you need to adjust based on a single impact of a bullet at distance, which is probably not a good idea to do, uh, but, but, uh, you know, so, so, so let's say like, you know, I was going to true at 600 yards. I'd probably shoot five shots at 600 yards, not one and take the average of that group. If I was going to shoot at a thousand, I would take six shots or something like that and take the average of that group. Not necessarily one shot, one shot, one shot, one shot, depending on the capability of the shooter. Now, Frank took one shot, you know, I would personally say, okay, you know, I would probably make a, a tenth circle around that and say your zero somewhere within that tenth circle around your zero. But if 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 random shooter from anywhere in the world sends me one shot or shows me, you know, I hit this truing bar at 600 yards with one shot and then my dope was off at 800, I would question that one shot at 600 as just a, a single instance. In yeah, where is it in the group center? Right. You have a X amount group center, and think of that group could be 6 o'clock or 12 o'clock. Right. Yeah, so right, think right. about your group size and then where that one shot is. Is that group, is that one shot 6 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 3 o'clock, or 9 o'clock, or right. dead center of your group? Right. You don't know. Because if somebody hits waterline, let, let's just say, like, you, you've probably done it. I've definitely done it. 800 yards, I got an IPSC, right? It's about 1.2 mils tall or something like that. I'm, I, I don't know exactly how tall it is, but but it's a big-ass target, right? Take a shot, waterline. I'm like, yes, my dope's perfect. My aim's perfect. Everything's perfect. But I've witnessed people do that. Bang, waterline. Sick. Should I go to, you know, should I go to the next range? Um, take another shot. Bam, they hit it in the head. Oh, shit. You know, instead of waterline, it was a headshot. Well, the wind call was good. Awesome. We got the wind call from the first shot, so it makes sense. Is there dope off? I mean, that that's half a mil high from their first shot. Oh, no, is something wrong? I don't know. Take another shot. Bang, belly button. Oh, no, is something wrong? 
I don't know. Take another shot. Waterline. Oh, man, everything's back to normal again. Hey, let's look at your craft target. Oh, your craft target is three inches. All of those shots are within a th- you know a three MOA circle of waterline. Two of them are on waterline. One's on the upper portion, mm-hmm. you know, around twelve o'clock. One's around six o'clock. All are all are acceptable accuracy. Is it a good idea to take multiple shots? Yeah, probably because you now you can take the high one and the low one and say this is how you shoot anyway. More of your shots are going to be waterline. Some are going to be high. Some are going to be low. We just witnessed that on the plate. Things are probably good. But if you base it on one shot, what if you base it on that headshot? Now you're bringing that whole group down, you know, uh, uh, you know, 1.5 MOA or potentially 2 MOA down, and then you shoot at 1,000 yards, and you're, you know, you, may, you, you might be 2 or 3 MOA low mm-hmm. because you just moved that whole circle down and and so 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 there, there's there's the elephant in the room of shooter error that that you have to also be able to never take out of the back of your mind when assessing the results on paper, and that's that's what happens when somebody like Frank is watching you is that that that's gone right. Some of that speculation is gone because Frank's able to say like, oh, this guy's muzzle moved around all the place. They they dicked around like they they're not they obviously need a lot of work. I can't really believe what I'm seeing downrange. Um, Whereas when you're doing that self-assessment, I think a lot of people have that tendency of, oh, sick, I hit waterline, I'm awesome. Oh, I had, shit, I hit the head, something's wrong. Let me take another shot. Oh, I hit the bottom of the target, something's wrong. I hit another shot. Like, let me let me figure something out. Let me look at my dope. You go back, you shoot another one waterline, and you're like, you forget about the high and the low, and you think, okay, there it is. It's back to good again. Let's move on. And mm-hmm. so, so you have that tendency of thinking favorable results. Like, okay, 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 that's good, that's good. Two of them were perfect waterline. Those other two, like, I don't know what was happening. Maybe my gun screwed up. Well, I mean, that's a great example we see in the basic class. Because think about, I, I'm on the glass, Mark's on the shooter. And we're doping people on a waterline. And somebody will shoot. And, I mean, it's dead centered up, perfect wind call. 12 o'clock, they went three-tenths high. So they go over the waterline, impact three-tenths high. I go, come down three-tenths. Mark will go, no, he recoiled funny. He hinged. And then it's like he'll come in and go fix the hinge and because the rear bag becomes a hinge. And when you hinge backwards like that, your muzzle raises up where most people just come down. It was a centered-up hit. It was three-tenths above middle. You're going to bring your dope down. Well, then... What happens is, is now if you recoil straight or the opposite, you're prone and you recoil straight and now you're on a bag and you hinge and you loop in your recoil, you're going to shoot over the target because your dope's not valid anymore. So you shot over the target because you hinged in the prone and you brought your dope down, you compromise your dope. You didn't do that. You shot good, straight, and square in the prone, doped your rifle. Then you went on a bag or a tripod, and now you've hinged and you've you've created the 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 half circle, and you've gone above the target. Now your dope's not valid because you shot over it because you recoiled funny. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where you have to have somebody either look at or you have to be able to read your dope to know. And that was the biggest mistake I saw on the final day when we were practicing people across the tripods, across the rocks, shooting over the target was the number one error. Mm-hmm. 
mean, first of all, that's that's the right that just justifies the value of a class like with you and Mark because you've got you're watching the target and you're you're reading the target and you're saying, okay, your shot was high to make a correction. You give a correction like a spotter should, but Mark's watching the shooter, yeah, and he corrects you to say. That would be true if mm-hmm. I didn't see this, but I saw this. Yeah. Let's try that one more time. Right. And and so, you know, in that sense, that's priceless. And then learning how to, to be able to troubleshoot and see that, I think that's really that's really interesting. Um, yeah. Hey, that says... No, that's just for oh, this. Okay. That's okay. that's what we're viewing. <laughs> we're, but it, right. no, that, what they're watching is actually that right there, that gotcha. one. He's looking at yeah the, the community I got I, I got us turned off on the community but I'm watching the hide TV app and so he, Chris saw it muted he's like wait a minute the live's muted I'm like no 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 we're good but no this is I mean this is a great podcast it'll be live you can go and access this and just watch the two of us sitting here like fools um but we can we'll, we'll get it more I'm they're they're fixing the app they just did an update this week. And so um, I still have a disconnect problem linking me into the community app. So it's telling me I have to gain access even on my account. So part of this is we're attempting to make seamless us being able to do this and you being able to watch it live. And then this allow me to go live in more places and more time. But I want to make sure it's working correctly and when I go live and you click on it, you can actually see it because that's where the disconnect is right now. I can't see myself on the live on my phone, but I'm watching myself on the live on the desktop. I know the desktop works. I'm trying to get the app to correctly communicate with the desktop so everybody on their phone can then watch us live. Now, if you have your phone and you have the Sniper Side app, you can go back and watch this as an archive video. But if you're not able to connect like I can't, you're not watching it live. And that's what I'm trying to fix. But you have the podcast too. So we're, we're like... Win-win. Yeah, win-win. We're trying to throw all this media at you guys. So when we do a little bit more faster dynamic and we're doing more visual things, I know it's working 100%. And you're going to be able to hear us in the podcast, maybe driving to work... And then you can go home and pull the video up and see what we're talking about. That's the ultimate goal. And right now I'm trying to make sure everything's connected because there is a disconnect. Oh, look, we got two guys asked a question. Um, the guy just came on and asked. All right. Well, Frank um, chats with him. Yeah. He was mentioning on the, the, you know, when he was talking about the, the, the third day where people were missing high, I want to point out as this is just a speculation on my part, but I, I analyze data. I look at shooters and, and, and so this is an educated hunch, but there, there's a trend that I've been seeing and people have been actually asking me about it because I shoot a lot off of tripods of standing is perfectly straight with your legs together, standing off of a tripod and having the rifle up and so that you're perfectly erect and the rifle is perfectly in front of you and it's very high. And the problem with our bodies is that the height, the, 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 um, right length of pull changes as you get upright. And I, and I do think that I would expect on average shooters, if they shoot from a tripod that way, where the rifle is very high, they're standing up as straight as possible and they got their rifle out in front of them. That's a film method. I can't do that method. My guess is that more often than not, with rifles, 
that are six five and heavier calibers, maybe less so with with lighter calibers, is that you're going to see a trend with most shooters who shoot that way of having their group dispersion go up. Now, it doesn't mean you can't do a good shot once, or if you're shooting a one at one mil target, you're probably going to hit it a lot. Smaller than a one mil target, I would start to suspect that shooters tend to shoot high using that method because of physiology, because of mechanics, because of the way that rifles are built and the height over bore issue, right? Um, and so there are ways to compensate from that, but I'm not surprised if in a class when people are out in the field, they're shooting standing, and all of a sudden you start seeing that trend of shooters missing high, that style tends to contribute to shots going high on people shooting from a tripod. And so that that's where if, if somebody just said, that, hey, you know, you weren't there, but we were doing this. And when we went out, you know, we were shooting on this and people started to miss high. Like, what's going on? Oh, you know, how are they shooting? I need to see a picture of them. Show me a picture. Show me a video. Something like that. Because my guess would be they were trying to do that style and and or the slide, the connection of the tripod as far forward as possible mm -hmm. rather than being close to the balance point. You're also going to tend to see shooters missing high or low, depending yeah. on the, how they're driving. Yeah, if the they're driving stock. it too far forward, they're going to push the nose down if they're mm -hmm. trying to over-recoil manage it. But mm -hmm. the longer like that, because the balance point is off now, it's a greater risk of the back end dipping down because it has less support. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So the odds of recoil, pushing it against your shoulder and then driving the back of the stock down under your shoulder becomes a reality exactly so then what you would see over time is a peanut shaped group rather than a circle or an over or whatever you'd start to see those there's the tendency to be high there's a tendency to be low but actually the rifle zeroed right in between the two because you're inconsistently driving that rifle and if it's heavier if it's lighter recoiling you're going to try to you don't need to recoil manage so you back off of it that's going to drive it high but if you're trying to recoil manage it you're probably going to start to see that impacts Pattern, yeah, pushing it in. Drive low because you you need to you need to be there in order to see the shot come in. Or you're going to lose the lose the but but but, but so so then you're going to see that figure that 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 peanut shape thing and and you start to see those trends over time based on trends that people are seeing rather than going from instruction that says look you know we're going to try it this way and then that person knows I'm going to be watching for this to make sure you don't do this and and that's where some bad habits can come in from training with something like a, a you know a 223 or a, a rimfire or potentially you know we're going to be talking a lot more about air guns when, when we start shooting air guns and stuff in the classes but with no recoil you don't need recoil management so because of that you're going to see system induced issues versus Variations, shooter yeah. because you, you don't need to recoil so you can be off the rifle and not inducing those wobble problems but the problem is you need to have recoil management to be a good rifle shooter so Training yourself to back off is going to cause more problems as you go back to a rifle that actually totally. has recoil. Um, we just hit the hour mark. I don't know if you got to take off, but uh, we, we I think we had a good spot for this podcast and this okay. live. And then I got one thing to clean up because there's still a disconnect, like I know, between the desktop and the app. But otherwise, it looks like we're cool. We're able to go live pretty simplistic. We got the podcast going at the same time, so... 
Uh, for everybody there, uh, thanks for listening to the Everyday Sniper Podcast. Um, I'm going to upload this guy right now, but you'll be already hearing it, so it'll be over. Uh, Chris came by, and we're going to do more of that. So as he's recovering from his back surgery, and we can't quite hit the range. Damn, snowed again. It was 70 degrees. The guys used the range. Like Eli and them guys came out to use the range, and it was 70 and perfect. And then the, they, they leave, and then Chris is like, well, I can do a little bit. And it's like snowed. <laughs> and right. it's, 20, it's 25 degrees out and snowed. So Freaking Colorado. I know, right? Totally. And then they're doing goddamn gun control here. Again, I might have to move to Wyoming, uh, bastards. But anyway, thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing. We're going to be doing more of this. We're going to carry over the Crossfire stuff. Um, but looking forward to it. All right, guys. Thanks, everybody. Yeah. Especially if it's scheduled.